0: Welcome to Shelve Under Podcast, a Toronto Public Library podcast for readers, writers, and lovers. That's right, today we're talking about romance. I'm Michael Warner. On this episode, we'll be talking with my co-host, Wendy Banks, about her brief career in the romance publishing industry, and why she probably wouldn't date a werewolf. Then, I'll settle an old score with romance novelist Vicki Essex, and we'll bust some myths about the romance genre. And finally, we'll ask the burning question... Do libraries give romance novels the respect they deserve? You have a connection to the romance publishing world that I think we should start by explaining and going over a little bit.
1: Yeah, I have a very tenuous connection to the romance publishing world. Basically, what happened is a few years ago, I was freelancing for a large romance publisher uh, here in Toronto, and I was writing the cover copy for romance novels. So, you know, when you pick up a paperback and you look at the back of it, and there's a little paragraph that kind of describes what's going to happen in the book, I was writing those for about a year and a half.
0: And did that then entail reading the books as well?
1: Well, okay, here's the thing. It it did. So this was kind of a side hustle. I was I was in grad school and I was looking for a little job to do on the side. And I saw an ad for this and I thought, oh yeah, that sounds like fun. That'll be fun. I, I've never really read romance as a genre. Maybe I'll get into it. Maybe I'll really like it. And uh, so I started off kind of gung-ho and keen. And I read the first several books that I blurbed cover to cover. Sort of reading it and sort of thinking, okay, what's what's appealing about this? What are people going to really like about this book? And as I went on, I found myself getting less and less kind of committed to that as part of the process. I, I guess I guess what I discovered, honestly, is that uh, I don't really like romance as a genre. Like I couldn't get into it, so that was that was kind of a problem.
0: And a lot of people may not know that there are many different subgenres within the romance genre. You've Indeed, got, there are. Yeah. You've got. Ones that are more erotic. You've got Amish romances, which are usually not very erotic from my understanding. I haven't read one, but I would assume that they're pretty uh, chaste. I
1: mean, I don't want to assume either way, but you, you could be right.
0: And you were writing copy for a particular kind of romance.
1: That's right. Yeah, I was writing copy for paranormal romances, specifically romances about werewolves. They pegged me pretty fast, I've got to say. Uh, They started off with a whole bunch of different subgenres, and then they pretty quickly started just assigning me werewolf romances.
0: So so. you had the werewolf romance copy beat. That was my area of expertise. Yes, that was my wheelhouse. Why do you think that Became your wheel. Do you like, do you like werewolves? To be honest, are you a werewolf?
1: I have no idea. I mean, I'm kind of a nerd. Maybe they picked up on that, but I, I mean, I never met them in person. I I think maybe I just, when I sent them my writing samples, my most enthusiastic copy might have been about the werewolf book they sent me and then they were like okay that's it you're the werewolf person maybe they just maybe no one else was really into writing about werewolves and i was the new
0: girl i don't know the only paranormal romance that i would have read is twilight right which yeah I, which is a I, werewolf
1: I, romance it's
0: a werewolf I partially mean, yeah partially they're werewolves mm-hmm. uh vampires yeah it is no doubt in my mind like a teen paranormal romance yeah and I'm, so i'm guessing a lot of people listening to this right now may not have thought like coming into this like I've read romance, but if you've read Twilight, I'm going to say you've read some paranormal romance. That's true. That's a good
1: point. Yeah. I mean, romance isn't always necessarily what, what we think it is, I, but I mean, but there is like a stereotypical idea of what a romance novel is. Oh, of course. I mean, you, you picture a paperback of certain dimensions, like a smallish kind of paperback book, yeah. you know, that's that's maybe a certain number of pages and, and that sort of thing.
0: We've skated around this issue so far, uh-huh. but let's be honest. What do you think of romance novels?
1: Oh no. Okay. As a librarian, right? There are no bad books. If you, if you're listening to this and you like reading romance novels, that is a okay with me, but they're not my thing. Since we decided we were going to talk about this, I've been thinking a lot about why they're not my thing. Some of it had to do with the kinds of relationships that seemed to happen in all of the books that I read, where there was this troubled, brooding alpha male with some terrible secret in his past, and he had to be taught how to love again. And he was so wounded and and difficult. It just seemed like so much work.
0: How do you feel about romance In other media, say TV shows, movies.
1: I don't mind it as part of a plot. What it is, is I don't like it as the whole point. I mean, for example, I was thinking about Elena Ferranti and the Neapolitan novels Mm -hmm. that came out a couple years ago that were really big. There's a whole romance subplot running through all four of those books, um, a couple of romance subplots. There's, and there is like a dark, brooding alpha male and she's kind of obsessed with him and she has to teach him how to love. And then, but the thing is, in those books, sorry, spoiler alert, It doesn't really work out. And then she has to figure out what next. And then she does figure out what next. And to me, that was the most exciting part of the book. It was like she'd kind of gone through all the romance and come out the other side. So the thing was romance isn't the point. I mean, romance is nice, but it's not enough. And I think that's how I feel about romance in, in movies and TV shows and books as well. It's it's a nice thing to have, but
0: it's not enough. You can think of books of Jane Austen as being romance novels. Yeah, there are, that's
1: true. That's true. Yeah.
0: Like romance is... Where it is the whole point. I always think of like the capital R romance genre where it's packaged in a certain way and you find it in the romance section And it's pretty clear because there's the couple on the cover and they're engaged in some act of intimacy. Yeah. Versus books we don't typically think of as. Romance that in that genre, and I think a criticism that a lot of people have is basically you know the you know the ending when you start the book. Yeah, that's true. It's like whatever conflict is in front of them, there's going to be the happily ever after that they get to, no matter how poor the arrangement seems to be, or yeah. or or the likelihood of that couple actually staying together past the end of the book.
1: It's never going to not work out. For them, in in within the confines of the book, that's true, and that and I, I think that is definitely a criticism I would level too. That's that's something that I find kind of disappointing about it. I understand that you interviewed. A romance novel author. Can you can you explain this situation to me a little bit?
0: Sure. So I interviewed a Toronto-based romance author, Vicky Essex uh, is her pen name. She hasn't written a romance novel recently. She's moved on to a young adult series, but she wrote six romance novels. The last one I think was in 2016, all for Harlequin, where she works uh, during the day as well. And we have a bit of interesting backstory involving a anti Valentine's Day event that I I made at one of my branches that was for teens. And she created a blog post basically saying how disappointed she was in the library about the event. So I wanted to do a bit of a mea culpa Mm -hmm. and say, my bad. And we had never met before this, but we got together and patched things over and had a nice discussion about romance novels.
1: All right. Well, let's listen to that discussion now.
0: I am joined today by Vicki Essex. She is the author of six Harlequin romance novels, the latest being Matinees with Miriam that was published in 2016. As V.S. McGrath, she is also writing a young adult Western slash fantasy series. The first book, The Devil's Revolver, is out now. And the second book, The Devil's Standoff, is coming out in April. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I wanted to start off by asking you, what was the first romance book that you read, if you remember? Oh, gosh.
2: I think that the first romance book that I actually retroactively categorized as romance was a book called The Dim Sum of All Things, and it was by Kim Keltner Wong. And I read that, I think in high school, maybe I was 17 or 18 years old. It would be what is currently classified as chick lit, so it was a trade paperback format book. At the time, I didn't really know very much about romance in general, except for maybe the cliches that most people associate with the romance genre. But The Dim Sum of All Things... Focused primarily on, I believe it was a, it was a Chinese heroine, a, a Chinese American heroine, I should say, looking for love. And it was just a, a really fun book that I had enjoyed. And at the end of it, I realized, oh, this story is about romance. And it wasn't until years later, after I started working at uh, Harlequin, and that's my disclaimer here, I do work as a proofreader full time at Harlequin Enterprises, uh, but I do not speak for them. It was only after that fact that I sort of clued in. I was like, oh, that's a romance. That's part of the genre. That is one of many subgenres of the romance genre. So yes, Dim Sim of All Things by Kimball Kiltner. Highly recommended.
0: It sounds like it wasn't necessarily you read one and all of a sudden that was the magic moment that you... Decided you were a romance reader.
2: Yeah, ironically, no. Uh, I am probably one of the one of the few romance authors you will talk to who didn't get into it by the sort of normal means. And you'll hear a lot of stories like, you know, I used to steal my mom's romances, or you know, I used to I, I used to sneak these from my aunt, or something to that effect. Uh, which is not to denigrate any of those women, because good on you. I only got exposed to the genre when I started working as a proofreader. What got the job through, you know, seeing it on Workopolis, and before I did the interview, I decided to pick up a bunch from the library, read through those, and got sort of an idea what I was going to be getting into, and it was only as I was working that I decided after a few months, you know what, I, I bet I could do this. These are all the cliches that are associated with the romance genre. Oh, it's so easy to write a romance. <laughs> I'm just going to make millions off doing this. Oh, I'm just going to, you know type one out, and I'll be done in a weekend, and I'll be, it'll be great. It's so much fun. It was a lot of work. It took me three years, and that is a very short time for any author who's working at this. It took me three years to get published, and that's writing three manuscripts before I got published. It was a really eye-opening experience, and any time I think that Someone says to me, oh, this must be so much fun. You know, you you must just churn them out, like churn them out like like, like they're butter. Like what? (laughs) No, no, no. It was work. It was hard, hard work. It was learning the craft and it was failing a lot.
0: Uh, Were you writing before you started writing romance?
2: I had been writing, um, but it was mostly in fan fiction, actually. And that's really where I started to get my romance feet under me, I suppose. Just sort of learning the tropes. I was writing uh, Avatar The Last Airbender fan fiction, (laughs) which everyone sort of goes... (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, but I got an idea in my head and I sat down and I wrote a story and I and I finished it. And it was the first time I went, wow, when I published it uh, on fanfiction.net, you know, I got some great responses and people were asking for more. And it was, you know, a beautiful interaction with a fandom and with readers, just really prolific readers who gave good feedback and stuff like that. So that's really where I got my feet.
0: Is that becoming more of a typical way that New authors are starting in the romance genre. I wouldn't say it's new
2: or typical necessarily, but certainly a lot of people I've known they've read fanfiction, they know of fanfiction, they have written fanfiction themselves. I would say a very good place to start for people because you kind of learn about the conventions of whatever story you're working on, uh, whatever you know, what, whether it's the genre or even with the characters that, that are existing. Like you understand the sort of boundaries and rules that you can break and or keep within. It's an excellent exercise, and just fun in general, right? Like what you can come up with is without limit, really. I mean, that's where Twilight, you know, like Shifty Shades of Grey, uh, and it was Twilight fan fiction, right? And what a phenomenon that has been, right? There, there is so much out there, and fan fiction is definitely one of those gateways
0: into it. Is there a common reaction or response that you get from people when they find out that you've written romance novels?
2: Uh, It sort of runs a gamut of reactions like, Oh, walk away. Or, (laughs) or certainly like, Wow, really? And, you know, sometimes I get into really great conversations with people, you know, about writing in general or, you know, the, the, the odd romance, you know, fan who loves stuff, you know, and, and, you know, I come across those. Some people are really impressed and some people, uh, fall into the, into the cliche reactions like, Oh, you must make a lot of money or, (laughs) Oh, it must be so easy or, you know, Oh, how long that take you to write? You get a lot of the same kind of comments. Right. You get a lot of patronizing comments too sometimes, just like, oh, I don't read those books. Like, oh, my aunt used to read those. They're so trashy. Yeah, You're just sort of like, really, I'm standing right here. I am standing right here, and you're telling me that that my life's work is trash.
0: Right.
2: You know, let's step that back and stop using language like that. Mm-hmm. Books are books. Read them. If you like them, you like them.
0: You talked about conventions of the genre, and I think it's important that we... Sort of establish some of those for because yeah. I think there's a lot of assumptions and conceptions about Absolutely. what those be make correctly or incorrect. As as preparation for this, I wrote down what I thought of the conventions of the romance genre, not necessarily the stereotypes, but like the conventions and how it works. The obvious thing at the beginning, I think it needs to be said, it's love story. Yes. You know, that's, that's it seems obvious to say, but you know, it a needs love to be centra-
2: said. Yes, a love story is central to a romance.
0: Yes. Always a happy ending.
2: It's usually what they say, happily ever after or happy enough for now. So that means they don't necessarily have to have been married and had children by the end of the story. They could have resolved their conflicts and decided dating is a good thing. Happy enough for now.
0: Okay, I think we'll we'll get back to some of those ideas later on. Not all, but for most major romance lines and imprints, it's uh, cisgender man and woman.
2: Not true. Um, I mean, I would say that majority of the fiction that is sold, more commercially, maybe, yeah, more cisgender, male, female, but the genre allows for anything and everything, and it's out there. There are all sorts of imprints and publishers who publish male, male, female, female, threesomes. Like it's it's all over the map, but they are out there, and you can find them, and they are for sale, and you know, support those authors because those voices are so important right
0: now. I also had the couples always young and attractive.
2: Also not true? Again, sure maybe commercially that they that may have been the traditional sell, but there've certainly been uh, plenty of romances about older couples, and obviously teen romance is a genre or yeah. subgenre of romance, young and attractive. <laughs> I think that's a that's a fine line because attractive is subjective, right? Right. The important Part of the romance is the attraction, and that does not necessarily have anything to do with a subjective, you know, or, or with, an, with with some kind of random objective definition of, of what beauty is. So, right. Yeah.
0: So there's always some conflict that the couple has to overcome.
2: Always. Conflict is the meat of a story. Yes. So, so yes, there is always going to be conflict. When you study writing, conflicts comes in many different forms. There's external conflict, there's internal conflict, you have conflicts against man versus man, man versus the elements or nature, man versus uh, technology, so on and so forth, right? So in a romance, yes, there is d- going to be conflict, I would <laughs> hope. But there are certainly different levels of conflict that you might encounter depending on the genre or subgenre that you go into. Right. So it could be f- anything from... What is perceived as a small conflict between the main characters, like, I don't know, they're fighting over who gets this umbrella. That could be a (laughs) conflict, right? Versus it could be end of the world stakes, right? It could be a really massive stake. What makes romantic conflict important is the value of what's at stake to the individual characters. For instance, in Matinees with Miriam, that's my latest book uh, with Harlequin, the story there is the the central romantic conflict is the heroine, Miriam, has this theater, this old crumbling theater in a small town that she's just trying to keep up with. And she encounters a hero who is a condo developer who wants to buy the property. So what you're looking at is two opposing forces that who, who cannot be reconciled. Right. They they are not going to come out of this with both of them happy. One of them has to lose. Right. Uh, one of the central teachings that you learn for, in, in most of storytelling, and especially in, uh, in romance, is uh, go Motivation Conflict. This is a book by Deborah Dixon, GMC. Your conflict is two dogs and one bone. What happens? You know, who, who wins? Who loses? What's at stake?
0: You can still have, I guess, a loser in that situation and you're happily ever after.
2: Yes. And, I mean, the best conflicts are the ones where when someone finally wins, when they get everything they want, it's suddenly the worst thing possible you see this all the time in movies and you see this like as soon as, as soon as you get everything your heart's ever desired the thing that you were going for in the beginning of that story is suddenly the thing that has that is the worst thing you possibly have that's like the best story <laughs> yeah and and you know what a lot a lot of romances are like that
0: the last thing that i had for sort of conventions of the genre is sort of really heavy description writing sort of that Purple prose, I think, is the word that you're looking for. Okay, that's that's the romance yeah. writer speak. No,
2: yes, that is the word <laughs> writer writers speak, and I think it is definitely one of the cliches of the genre.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, perhaps that may have been perceived the perceived notion back in the day, but certainly no. Some of the best writing I've seen is in romance. Sharp, it's to the point. You you have a certain number of words to get people hooked into your story, right. and story is always going to be king. I think the best writers are the ones who write conservatively but that's just my opinion i mean at the same time i'm also a big fan of description i love i love seeing beautiful metaphors and settings and scenery descriptions of things and being able to engage with the universe that the author is in right so no i would say that purple prose is is an outdated term used to denigrate particular uh, a particular genre and i say particularly romance
0: okay have I have I missed any
2: conventions or? I'm certain you have, but uh, you know, <laughs> when when we, when we we're talking about the romance genre, the Romance Writers of America, which is the big organization based in the states, which uh, is nonprofit that helps guide r- romance authors, their definition of romance is a story which has a love story as its central uh, story. It ends in a happily ever after or a happy enough for now. Uh, okay. So
0: there's a funny yeah. thing is when you put it in that simple of a term mm-hmm. it opens up so many more books i think to be thought of as yeah. romance
2: yeah and the, and the funny thing is that it, i mean it opens up but it also closes some genres like or so, some titles because there are lots of arguments that um nicholas sparks he writes these beautiful romances but they aren't Technically, romances because they don't end in happily ever after. Spoiler alert! Right, you know there there is a sort of limit to where those things are. At the same time, there is also a push in the romance community for uh, non-conventional romances that don't end in happily ever after. And most writers that I think you'll talk to will agree: romance, is love, central love story, ends in happily and happy ever after. Happy enough for now.
0: Okay, we've you know gone in and out a bit talking about stereotypes and how people denigrate the genre. Uh, and I think it's important to mention how our path sort of crossed in the first place, unbeknownst to, yes. to you. <laughs> so in, in 2014, uh, I hosted an anti-Valentine's Day at the branch I was working at and advertised it in a certain way and you were rightfully not happy with. I don't know if you want to take over and sort of say what you thought when you
2: Yeah. When you I'm... when
0: you read when you so, read the blog post.
2: Yeah. So I, I believe the event was inviting I think it was teenagers. It was yes. Teenagers to come in and um uh desecrate. No, it wasn't vandalized. Vandalize. Vandalize, vandalize. Bo- vandalize the romance book covers. First and last time I've used that <laughs> promoting an event. <laughs> But my first, re- my first reaction was like, "Oh no, oh no, this is this is not good." So I decided to write an open letter, which I just posted on my blog. I didn't think it would get anywhere, frankly, but um, but it did. It did. It did get around. <laughs> I am not sorry for it. Certainly, I think that it was a learning experience for everybody and. I'm sorry if you got any major flack for that. So certainly, it was, uh, but it was a—it's controversial, and I think the thing you would have probably learned from that is that the romance community is very large and <laughs> very tight. Romance has been historically marginalized, right? Laughed at, put down, not taken seriously, and it comes from a very long history of misogyny and literary snobbery, because. Romance was one of the only and probably one of the first and probably still only genres that is really specifically written for women, mostly by women. So in the 18th and 19th century, when paper and ink and light was starting to be available to the middle class and reading materials becoming available to the lower class, it was a problem that women specifically who had never had rights to vote, own property, make choices for themselves, were getting access to material that was specifically telling them, by the way, you have choices and you can be happy. And this is all outlined in this great book by Maya Rodale called uh, Dangerous Books for Girls, which I believe there is a copy of in the reference library. Really interesting look at, at the history of the romance genre and why it is treated the way it is today.
0: I think it's interesting because... For most people, probably the stereotype of the romance genre is not women getting their way. It's the alpha male taking charge over, uh, you know, the willowy female who weeps with desire at the sight of him.
2: Ultimately, romance is about, you know, the romance is about the woman, right? The, the woman is usually the, the main character in the story. 60-40 split, usually sometimes sometimes less than that in terms of female to male ratio in narrative. Back to the idea of conflict, goal-motivation conflict, we're always looking at the woman's goals, right? What is it she needs to do? She needs to escape the life that she's living. She needs to provide herself or her family security. She has to find a new job. She has to save her grandfather's farm. Whatever it is, The, the female character usually has a goal that she needs to achieve. In romance, the romance is not the goal. In romance, the goal is not... To have a romantic relationship with another character. The the romance is a complication. It is part of the conflict, right? When a man sweeps in, he's not gonna save her. He's not the one who's going to do all the saving for her. She has to have an active part in her own salvation, in her own destiny. Right? She's got she has agency. She's not just being sold off and married to some person, even though that might look like what that, that's what the, the idea of the plot is. Um, you know, you can read a lot of stories about marriage for revenge or, you know, sold for, you know, sold to the Viking and, you know, wh- whatever it may be. But ultimately, those women take charge of their lives and they pursue happiness for themselves, whatever that may be. Sometimes it means at the darkest moment, they have to give up their romance. But in the end, that's where that the conflict comes in and where, where the men have to, where, where the compromise is reached, right? Like, That two dogs with one bone is still an idea that that you're dealing with. And if you can make concessions with each other, like every relationship, you have to work at it. You know, that's where your happy ever after comes from. Relationships are work. And that is certainly going to be one of the things you can take away. Good, healthy relationships are not all about one person giving.
0: And some of the other stereotypes, obviously, that like sort of romances are cheap and trashy and disposable and and i mean a lot of those words are said both about the books but also the readers
2: right i don't fully understand why that remains to be a cliche of readers of the genre and so forth um except to say that historically romances you know they came out of they were usually printed on pulp and pulp papers were cheap right you could buy novels and and books you know for 10 cents which was still money back then, but not as you know that much. And that in the business, you know, mass market paperbacks were still king for a fair long time before ebooks came around, and that was the way you got, you know, good reading. I mean, you they could produce it on mass, right? I, I, I think that the commodification and the mass production of books made some people think that it was cheap. And I'm sure there is someone who could speak more to the economics mm-hmm. of mass production and the perceived value of mass production. But you have to remember that the people who are writing these and working on them, producing the covers and doing, putting all that work into it, you know, they're real people. They're not, you know, they they work really hard. It takes me a good long time to write a story, to work on it day in, day out, do the editing make sure that the, the characters make sense and so on and so forth. And, and maybe it takes a person eight hours to complete and they're just like, mm, that was done. That was good. That was done. What, you know, what is value to a person? What is trash and what is not? I think that value is what you put into it. It's what
0: you take from it. And what's interesting to me, uh, especially say as a librarian, is there are some genres that have sort of sort of similar origins like mysteries, comic books, you know, mass produced at the beginning mm-hmm. and um, have at different points sort of become more culturally acceptable. Yeah. Why hasn't it happened with romance?
2: I believe it still comes back to to the idea of misogyny, which seems like such an amorphous way to, to say it. You know, with mysteries and crime novels and stuff, yes, they, they produce a lot of titles in line with comparison with romance titles, you know. Um, but no one ever interrogates a crime writer and asks them, so did you murder anybody to get to to do the research? Which is, you know, the, the question that romance authors get frequently are, did you do this to, for your <laughs> research? And it's such a fr- frankly creepy question right. to ask anybody. Like the salacious nature of romance because it has to do with love and sex specifically uh, makes everybody just go into titters for some reason. Right. It's one of the most frustrating things that authors and re- readers of romance face mm-hmm. every day, which is why I think you'll find, especially in social media, that we are a very large and very tight group. There's a really good um, uh, documentary that just came out called Between the Covers, I believe. It's very good at just, uh, you know, lots of interviews with different authors talking about the genre and how they got in and you know, representation and and all kinds of issues. But the one really good thread through it is just how supportive we are of each other because, you know, we want to help each other do good work, write better, learn the craft, all that kind of thing. And I've certainly found that working with the Toronto Romance Writers here in Toronto, which is the Toronto chapter of the Romance Writers of America. Fantastic group of women who have all raised each other up. I credit them highly for my personal career because, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from them. I have questions about pen names. Mm-hmm. Why is why are pen names so common for writers in the genre? I do know that that pen
2: names are common. Um I mean, when I chose my pen name, literally I was I, I chose Essex because I was living on Essex Street at the time. <laughs> <laughs> the joke I like to make is that yes and yes, sex is in my name. But that's not okay. what I write. I don't write erotica or erotic romance. You know, I, I certainly have sex in my books, but you know, it, it is part of the tongue-in-cheek, self-reflective nature of acknowledging is sort of a meta way of saying, "Yes, I work in romance." <laughs> go on. <laughs> you know, p- people choose pen names for different reasons. They want to honor some people. They, they, you know, y- there are all there there are there like um, strategic reasons for choosing your pen name. For instance, like when you go to a bookstore and you have you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of spines facing out at you, they shelve them al- alphabetically, A to Z. So you have to just figure out. Where your name is going to stand out the most? Will you stand out next to Nora Roberts? Probably not. So you don't, want, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, Nala Robertson,
0: right? For instance. See, I was hoping there was some like pen name generator or some sort of system that <laughs> was sure used. that you could find one on Google if you really wanted to. Yeah. So I did read red carpet. Yeah. As as prep for this. Mm -hmm. So and speaking of a couple of things that we talked about earlier with sort of real life situations and not being all fluff. Mm -hmm. So there were two things that stood out for me in the story. Mm -hmm. One thing that surprised me is there is a brief but pretty frank and honest conversation between the two characters about abortion.
2: Modern romances today, you know, we talk about birth control. It's probably one of the only places you're going to see frank discussions on page. And yeah, we do talk about abortion sometimes because that's real life. Every author has their limits in terms of where they want to take a story. Maybe they have some taboo subjects in there. I'm certain that there are going to be people who would object really harshly to to any discussion about abortion. That said, I mean, it's a reflection of real life and the reality of my particular characters. Because Kat is not a woman who necessarily thought of herself as being in the position to be a mother, to be a single mother. But ultimately, she made her choice to have a baby because that's what she wanted. And you know what? Choice is vital, absolutely vital to the characters in these stories. And I wanted to make sure that that was a thing that both the hero and the heroine acknowledge because there are realities in this world that are harsh. And certainly, some people don't think of romance as being a place where you have to face reality. But at the same time, why not?
0: The other part that surprised me is in the sex scene between the characters. It is post-birth, mm-hmm. so t- sometime after she's she's given birth. It does not go easily. There no, are, there are complications. There are complications. It is not. It was not the everything was amazing and worked as it was supposed to. Yeah, you
2: know this is reality. I mean, there the there are bad kisses. Part of having a healthy relationship is being able to acknowledge those, you know, any, any kinds of problems and flaws, and communicate them. The reality, the reality for her, for Cat, post-birth, she had had a difficult pregnancy. She needed time to heal. She needs to be cared for, and she needs, especially for the hero, to acknowledge that. So they need that open communication is central to a healthy relationship, and I think. When you look at the whole genre and you realize that, that healthy communication is part of a healthy relationship, that's what you're going to take from romance, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is what is so important. There was a fantastic New York Times article recently uh, by Dunfer Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R, W-E-I-N-E-R? Yes. Where, where she talks about this in relation to the Me Too movement and uh, the allegations against Aziz Ansari. She, she learned from romance that a woman's needs are important, too. And that men should be acknowledging them and understanding all that too, right? And she learned that from romance because back to that whole idea, women matter. Women's needs matter. And women's dreams matter. All these things matter. Mm-hmm. And romance can teach you that.
0: So I think we've hopefully convinced some people to give romance a shot. I mean, it's... We read have, romance. Read romance. We watch... Romantic movies and T V shows.
2: You know what? Before you ever poo poo anything, whether it's romance or westerns or science fiction or fantasy, horror, or whatever, try it. If you've never tried something, why why would you have that opinion? Don't judge this entire genre of books and, and decide to throw it you know, sweep it under the rug or, or poo poo it or make fun of it just because it's those books <laughs> as they like to say. People are like this, and it's just like you know what? You don't judge people that way. Why would you judge? It? Why would you judge books
0: that way? Last question uh, for a book recommendation. Mm. It does not have to be a romance, it's but okay. it can be. Right. It is a completely wide open. But just one. Just people have done two. We can just do two. Just two. Oh my god. Maybe not one of yours. I will recommend Red Carpet Arrangement. You well, can get you. It on. You can get it on an overdrive.
2: One of the books that I always recommend to people, and it is one of my favorite series, so I'm going to say it's a series. The Original series, uh, the original Sinners series by Tiffany Rice. Uh, it's actually spelled R-E-I-S-Z. She writes literary erotica, and the first book in that series is called The Siren. It is about a dominatrix, so not for kids. <laughs> it is about a dominatrix who has a very complicated and involve- involved relationship with a young man living in her house. And also with the man who used to be her dumb. It is it's just a beautifully written, really well researched and emotionally wrought book. You know, I, I think about it a lot. And you know, she there's four more books after that, but the empathy that she you know she writes for the characters is just so deep. Like I I think I read the second book, which is the angel, and I was on the bus, and when I finished it, I was just crying. I do not cry at books. <laughs> I you know i like i said i read these day in and day out i cried at this book and yeah and tiffany is just a fantastic writer she also writes other fiction she has a time travel romance called the nightmark and she's yeah she's just a fantastic writer there's so many other books i want to recommend but i'm just like i'm sure you could you could never hear them all at the same
0: time well maybe we'll say this then if you would like to recommend some books maybe we'll do it online somewhere where people can follow I you or find can. your writing. Yes, So where would where people be able to yeah. find you?
2: Where online? aren't I? Uh, so I've got two websites. I am at www.vickiessex.com. V-I-C-K-I-E-S-S-E-X.com. That is my romance pen name. Uh, I am currently working on a series uh, that is a young adult fantasy set in the Wild West called The Devil's Revolver. The first book, The Devil's Revolver, is out now uh, with Brain Mill Press. And uh, you could find me at uh, www.vsmcgrath.com. It's vsmcgrath.com. Um, you can find all the information about the series at devilsrevolver.com. I am on Twitter and on Facebook, and uh, you can always pop by and say hello to me there.
0: All right. And the Devil's Standoff is coming out in April, That's so right. it may already be out by the time people listen to this. I hope that y'all like it. I love the covers of those books.
2: They are gorgeous covers. The uh, artist is Cassandra Bolin. She
0: is fantastic. Great. Thank you so much, Vicki, for your time. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot now. So initial thoughts?
1: Well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like a bit of a mis- misogynist jerk. I, when, one thing that struck me, actually, one thing that struck me is really interesting that she said was that to her, the man-woman relationship isn't necessarily central to the plot. She was saying, you know, that, that the plot still has to unfold, and it's actually a complication to the plot. I've never really thought of it that way. I'm sort of, I am i don't know, I'm questioning that to myself. I'm not 100% sure I'm on board with it, but it's an interesting way of looking at it.
0: Right. I mean, that could be partially the the difference between a writer and a reader. Yeah. Right? There may be a bit of difference there that we have to acknowledge. That's
1: true. She's seeing some mechanics that maybe aren't evident from my perspective.
0: Right. But it does give an interesting idea of how writers view it the genre
1: her point about romance writing being something that women do and therefore it's sort of denigrated that was I, that's a point well taken one thing that i realized that i was kind of initially interested in when i was working for this romance publisher was the fact that a lot of the writers were readers At first. And, uh, and they were sort of, it was sort of like a self-sustaining ecosystem, in a way. And I thought it was interesting. This is, you know, it's stuff that's written by women, read by women, edited by women, published, marketed by women, you know, it's sort of, sort of interesting that way.
0: I was quite fascinated that this is really like a character book. When doing, say, reader's advisory, which is recommending books to people and talking about books with people, you know, some people are looking for writing, some people are looking for characters, some people are looking for plot. It was really a character-focused book. I'm just speaking at one book, so I don't want to necessarily like all romances are character-driven books, but it did give me a different perspective on the genre. And I enjoyed reading the book a lot more than I thought I would. Oh, which really? Is, okay. I mean... I just say that and it also sounds like a backhanded insult. Be like, I wasn't. I was going into this and I wasn't expecting to like it at all.
1: But it it is what it is, right? Like you had, as you said, you were very open about having stereotypes about romance novels.
0: We're all coming to the genre with those stereotypes, but trying to get past them and at least give it a shot. Personally, as a reader, I like not knowing how things are going to end up. But I also knew going in that there's romance and a lot of books that I liked and other movies and TV shows. So I'm I'm not anti the idea of romance.
1: I mean who's who's anti the idea of romance? Yeah. You know? One other thing that you guys talked about that I thought was interesting. You were talking about the this sort of idea of romance as quote unquote trashy. And that made me think about a thing that we do at
0: libraries,
1: which is a lot of romances, we don't catalog them.
0: Yeah. I don't remember the exact year it was. But at a certain point, we realized that romance readers are trying to find books by their favorite authors or their favorite series. And we started to catalog more romance novels. Oh, so okay. to get really nitty gritty about how the library works for people, for a lot of paperbacks, you can't find them in the catalog. They're divided between fiction, mystery, science fiction, romance. It just gets uh, what we call a cutter. It has It's the first letter of the person's last name. They're all just in a jumble. So there's no way of knowing what paperbacks any branch has. Yeah. For years, most of the time, that's how romance novels were shelved. So you would go into a branch and if you wanted a book by a particular author, unless that person was Nora Roberts or Danielle Steele, you were out of luck. And the the reason we, we do that paperback system is because it's faster and more efficient for the library. To not have to catalog everything and put it in the system, it's easier just to stick a barcode on them and put them on the shelf.
1: But then you start seeing those books as kind of disposable, right? Because you're not investing a lot of time in them. You're not, you know, making them findable by people. Right. So, so, I mean, in a way, we were kind of treating these novels as kind of, quote unquote, trashy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't feel great about that. Actually, now that now that I've heard that interview, I I feel like that maybe wasn't the best approach. I'm glad we're starting to catalog those.
0: Oh, definitely. It's nice to be able to say that that has changed.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay, good for us.
0: Yay! Yay. I've also thought like with pen names that I almost feel like maybe romance writers would be taken more seriously if they didn't use pen name. The other thing I had was the one part in Vicky's book. Where I was became super conscious that I was reading a romance novel was parts of the sex scene where it became that super descriptive language and a lot of euphemisms. Right. Yeah. And when that writing wasn't in the rest of the story. Right. Like, yeah. It was that's... written very real life until you get to that scene. And then all of a sudden it just like completely threw me out. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm reading a romance novel.
1: That's Yeah, and that is a very salient feature of the romance novels I read, too. The sex scenes were really distinct from the rest of them and really written differently. And I mean, I'm guessing that's probably sort of something that a lot of people find appealing about them. Like, that's probably something that some people are looking for, you know, is these kind of standout kind of set pieces.
0: After reading it just recently, I read two articles to sort of touch on that. One is Harlequin is starting a new line. I think it was called Harlequin Dare, which is aimed at a younger audience, so 20s, 30s, and it is going to be using a lot more natural, common language for sex scenes. Oh, okay. It's not trying to disguise what's happening, basically, right?
1: Uh huh. Because so like so no know. euphemisms, no, yeah. you know. It's just
0: like common language. That's that's interesting. And the other was a New York Times article where it was talking about writing sex scenes in fiction, not just romance, uh, but it talked to Stephen King and Jennifer Weiner. I think it was Jennifer Weiner who basically said, like, we need to just use natural language, trying to make it reflect real life.
1: Because there is so much bad sex writing. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen the bad sex writing contest. Yes. You know, the, the Morrissey entry. Yeah. Forget. I, I know the word bulbous showed up in there more than once. But at the same time, writers are making stuff up. Yeah, this is true.
0: Like, that's. This is
1: true. That's kind of what they do. That's
0: kind of what they do. Right. So it's it's just kind of weird that writers can't write sex better.
1: Yeah. Well I mean some can. Some can. It's just it just seems to be like like difficult.
0: Yeah, the fact that there's like a prize for bad sex writing. Yeah. Basically shows that it's it's a challenge. It's a know? challenge.
1: Yeah. And and I mean I guess maybe maybe all the euphemisms in traditional romance novels are like a workaround for that. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a set of conventions. There's a set of conventional language that you can use to make it easier on yourself as a writer, maybe.
0: Do you have a book recommendation for something that involves some romance?
1: I just finished reading Outline by Rachel Cusk, which is definitely not a romance novel. Um it's it's sort of the opposite of a romance novel. It's it's hard to talk about without spoilers. It's this woman who goes to Greece as a writing instructor and it's in the form of 10 dialogues that take place and you really only hear the other person's side of the dialogue. You kind of discover over the course of the book what has happened in her love life, but it's never kind of alluded to directly. She never really says anything directly about it. You just kind of pick it up from things other people are saying to her. I found it gripping and satisfying in a way that nothing I've read in a couple of years has been. It was really, really good. And I think in a way, it's interesting because it kind of touches on all the stuff we're talking about. It left everything out. I mean, it was called Outline because it sort of gives you this outline of a person. You don't really see what's going on in the middle, but it just, it left out all of the details of her relationship and, you know, there were definitely no sex scenes. And for some reason, that made it really compelling. You're just kind of imagining you're filling everything in yourself. And I would really recommend that. So that's outlined by Rachel Cusk. How about you? Do you have any uh, book recommendations about like any sort of romance-ish or, or non-romance?
0: My, my go-to for sort of a male look at romance would be High Fidelity by Nick Hornby.
1: Yeah, that's a good one.
0: So there's the, the book... And the movie starring John Cusack, for those who haven't read it, who haven't watched the movie, Rob has just been dumped, left by his his girlfriend, and he goes back to find out where his love life went wrong by going through his top five breakups. Love is central to the book, really. Yeah, he's and it's it kind of almost is a
1: romance you know
0: yeah it's really hard for me not to classify that as a romance
1: it's it's a very enjoyable book like it's yeah. it's a lot of fun to read I feel like it gave me some insight into you know the male psyche in a way not not to generalize but kind of a bit
0: if you're looking for like a male centric romance novel it's high fidelity
1: yeah so that's that's us for romance for today i think i guess i'm going to go off and and try looking at what i'm reading as romance in the future and see how that sits with me
0: that's all we ask that's all vicky and i ask really for (laughs) you to
1: do that's right i'll I'll do my best then for you for you and vicky yeah thanks you're welcome
0: Wendy Banks is a librarian and former expert on werewolf love. Michael Warner is a librarian and Nick Hornby fan who would never dream of vandalizing a book. Vicki Essex is an author. She just finished writing a series of feminist Westerns called the devil's revolver series. You can find out more about her work at VickyEssex.com. music by highs shelf under podcast is a Toronto public library production. It is produced by Ted Belke Wendy Banks, Michael Warner, Christina Wong, and Jason Bazadian, with production assistance by George Penayotu.